0: I'd like you to turn this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And as you do that, we're going to let the children be dismissed to the back for junior church. Let the children be dismissed to junior church. And we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. This morning we're going to begin a series in the life of Abraham. Um, In the best of my recollection, there's one man... In the Bible, that is called the believer or the man of faith. And that man is Abraham. Now what's fascinating to me about that is that Hebrews 11, and I believe it's verse 6, says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. So our study is going to be on a man of great faith. That study is going to center in the middle of the book of Genesis. And I want to give you just a little bit of an overview of the book of Genesis and then put the story of Abraham in this broader context. Okay, if you've read through the book of Genesis, you're probably familiar with this to some degree. Genesis is a series of real-life stories. Some people have called them hero stories. Okay, they're stories of people that are prominent in the Old Testament storyline that leads up to the New Testament and the coming of Christ. Okay, so they are, in Hebrews 11, often called heroes of the faith. People that when we think of the Old Testament, these are the names that come to mind. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Okay, those kinds of names, particularly in the book of Genesis. They, the, the, the purpose of these stories being recorded is that we would study them And learn from them values, ideals, and virtues that will impact our daily experience as Christians. As you read through the stories, what you will find is this. The stories have not been scrubbed clean of troubled spots. Okay? As you read through the life of Abraham, the believer, you're going to find that there are serious potholes in the road of his life. Serious mistakes are made by Abraham. They are left there so that we can learn from them. The heroes are not always heroic. They are simply the human center of attention in the story. Okay, now here's the thing I think I I want you to really kind of etch in your mind. As you read through the stories in the book of Genesis, your focus ultimately should not be on the individuals. It should be on the God in whom the individuals have placed faith. Okay, your eye should be upon God working through these flawed individuals who in many ways are just like us. Sometimes they're expressing and exercising a tremendous degree of faith. At other times they are painfully familiar in their failures. They are brave and then they are cowardly. They're powerful and then they are deplorable. They're a mixture of both of these things at all times as you read through the stories. They're recorded for our benefit. Why should we study these stories? Well, Paul will later say in 2 Corinthians, and I believe it's chapter 3, that the stories of the Old Testament heroes of the faith are recorded for us as examples upon whom the end of the age has come. Okay, they're recorded for us as examples. That is as lives that you and I should look to and learn from. For who? For those upon whom the end of the ages has come. Meaning this. The Old Testament stories are forward looking stories. Okay, they anticipate always in a picture or figure, they're anticipating a greater truth that grows out of the truth that the life of the believer expresses. Okay, and you'll see this over and over again in the life of Abraham. His life is very forward looking. And as we look at his life, we're going to be reminded of God's providential care as he uses imperfect lives to fulfill his. Purposes. Again, here's where I hope as we study the life of Abraham that we are encouraged in our walk with God and challenged. God is sovereign in Abraham's life. He uses him in spite of the fact that he will on a consistent basis fail. But we're reminded over and over again as we study of God's providential care that is using imperfect lives for his purposes. Paul would later say it this way: Romans 8:28, you're familiar with it. God causes all things to work together for good. Okay? God uses our failures to glorify his name. And God uses our obedience to glorify his name and advance his cause. Okay? So as you look at these stories, we are to learn from them, and then we are to see God ultimately. And this is the, the, the big picture in which the little stories are set. Okay? The big picture is this, that God is choosing a people in the Old Testament who will ultimately be the line through whom the Redeemer comes and through whom ultimate freedom from sin is found? Okay, the story of the Bible is a story of redemption. How do the broken, fallen people of Genesis 1 to 3 come into a right relationship with a holy God? That's the, the overarching story. It's all about redemption. <clears throat> Chapters 1 through 11 are condensed stories. Okay, there are short, brief accounts. Okay, you go from the creation of the world to the life of Abraham with thousands of years passing. Then when you come to chapter 12 through 50, you find extended or more detailed stories that are put together. Okay, those stories centers in, center in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and ultimately Joseph. And what you find at the end of that story is that Israel is now in a place called Egypt. Okay, so 12 through 50 is going to be the stories of four people. We're going to do over the next few weeks is focus simply on the life of Abraham in the detailed story of his life. Chapter 11 and verse 27 of Genesis says this <clears throat> It says, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay, and this is where Abraham is now introduced into the storyline. Haran became the father of Lot, and we'll talk about that later. While Terah, his father, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, that is the father of Lot, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, verse 30 says this. It says, now Sarah was barren, and she had no children. Okay, her and Abraham have been married for some period of time. And Sarah is a woman who is barren. That becomes a very important part of this story. So we have the birth of Abraham. We have this birthplace in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern Iraq. Okay, we have his wife, Sarah who is barren and has no children, which ultimately would be the, the, the primary issue of testing of the faith of Abraham. And then we have their journey to Haran, which is modern Turkey. Okay, so when we come into Genesis chapter 12, where are we? Okay, Abraham and his family have moved from a place called Ur of the Chaldees, modern Iraq, up into an area that we know as modern Turkey. Okay, it's there that chapter 12 then begins and the word of the Lord comes. And you'll notice, If you have a more literal translation, like New American Standard or King James Version, you're going to find at the beginning of these sections, it'll say, Now the Lord said to Abraham. Okay, And you'll find that word coming up over and over again as you read the book of Genesis. Okay, What does it indicate? It indicates a transition from one story to another story, and this unfolding plan of redemption is taking place. So, Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Okay, now what is this? Okay, this is a significant transition in the life of Abraham from the place that God has called him from to the place where God wants him to be. That's the the brief, if you will, central picture. The key thought of this text is this. It is faith that pleases God is always demonstrated in simple steps of obedience. Okay? The faith that captures the attention of God, the faith that pleases God, is always expressed in simple steps of obedience. Okay? We tend to think that faith that pleases God is always about large things. Okay, and what I want to kind of emphasize this morning is that, you know, we're, all, we're not often faced with large, enormous decisions. But on a daily basis, we are faced with small decisions that have an impact on the outcome of our lives. So as we look at this story, the key thought, faith that pleases God, is demonstrated in simple steps of obedience. I want to give you this definition of faith from this passage of Scripture. I think you'll find that that faith by and large can can come under the the realm of this definition. Faith is trusting and obeying God when I can't see how it all works out. Okay? Faith is trusting and obeying God when I can't see how it all works out or fits together. So what does this faith that trusts and obeys God, what does it do? Okay, and I want to just give you five observations as we move through this text to see how this simple faith of Abraham, the believer, is going to affect his life and then the extensive outreach of simple faith. Verse 1, the call to go to the land that I will show you. And then verse 4, the beginning of the verse says, So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. Okay, so what's the first thing we find? We find a call from God that stretches Abraham, and we'll talk about why that is the case. But the first thing that we see is that faith does what? Faith steps out. Once it understands a clear directive from God, it is responsive to those directives and to those calls. Okay, that's the, So the first thing we see in Abraham is that he is a man who steps out in response to a clear call from God. I think we can argue this point very simply. If Abraham did not believe that this message was from God, I doubt that Abraham would have been responsive to this call. Okay, so he he hears a word from the Lord. He is convinced that it is God. And he immediately and fully gives a response to God's directive. Faith steps out. Now, one of the things that arises as you go through the story is this. There's the call of Abraham. In Genesis 11, and then there's the call in Genesis 12. And so what you start to realize, if you go to Acts chapter 7, verses one through or Acts chapter 7, one through four, Stephen adds clarification here. There's a call of God that comes to Abraham and his father, Wather and Ur, the Chaldees. They travel up to an area that's called Haran. And if you look at, I believe it's at the end of verse. 31 of of chapter 11. Here's what it says. It says, when they came to Haran, they settled there. Okay, this is fascinating. Okay, because there's an immediate response to the call of God at some level that's indicated. But we also are going to find that in Abraham's past, there was this 50% obedience to the call of God. A pause, the death of his father, a restatement of God's call, and a complete obedience. Okay, does that sound like any of our lives? The call of God, we begin to obey, we pause. Okay, they settled in the land of Haran. Did God call them to settle in the land of Haran? The answer is no. Acts chapter 7 makes it clear. God called them to go all the way into the land of Canaan. They pause. So what do we find? This faith that steps out, that is responsive to God, is a faith that has been growing. It's been going through seasons of testing where the call of God to Abraham was very clear. Did he go all the way into obedience initially? No, he didn't. He stopped in Iran. He settled there, and then what does God do? God gives him another call to move him one step further in this walk of faith. So folks, when the New Testament says Abraham is the believer, it is not indicating that Abraham is a man who exercised Perfect trust and perfect obedience. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that that at the end of the day in Abraham's life, he could be called the man of faith in the Old Testament. He could be called the ultimate or supreme example of what it really means to trust God. It doesn't mean that he never struggled with what it meant to trust God. Okay, and I think it's so important that we understand this. He steps out, and as he steps out into obedience, there's this progress this development of his trust in God. All of us, I believe, certainly go through seasons like that where our trust in God is strong and then where our trust in God is weaker. So he steps out in spite of the sacrifice that is involved. Look at uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, and listen to this, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Look, you know, The difficulty with understanding this statement is that we live in a world that has become very cosmopolitan. Okay? People are mobile in the world that we live in. All right? I I think I can safely guess that probably over 50% of the young people that grow up in Warren County will probably not spend their adult life in this county. Right? It makes me sad, to be honest with you. Okay? But I think we can say that that's true. We live in a country where people, we shift, we make moves. Okay? And it's... It's normal for us to do that. So when we look at this, we may be thinking, well, Abraham's just getting a job transfer. He's getting a promotion. Okay, but there's more to this than something that simple. This is a world that was agricultural. The Near Eastern world is very family-based and loyal to the family. For someone to depart would be an utterly heartbreaking experience, and it would involve great personal sacrifice and risk. So as Abraham steps out, God says, I want you to leave your country, this agricultural world in which you live, the land, the very source of your life. I want you to leave your people, your relatives, your father's house. That is your identity and your security. And then 30 says, I want you to leave your father's household. Most commentators will say something like this. This is a call to leave the family inheritance. It is to, in a sense, sever ties from his extended clan or family because God has a bigger or larger purpose for Abraham's life. Okay, and the reason I say this is this faith that steps out always involves some degrees of sacrifice. And folks, here's what we find in our Christian life. Whenever God calls us to step out in faith and walk in obedience to Him, we're typically going to encounter in that step some degree of cost. Some degree of of sacrifice, but I think we need to remind ourselves of what the Savior says. He says, if anyone is going to come after me, that is, respond with simple initial obedience. If anyone is going to do that, what do they have to do? All right, they have to count the cost by denying themselves. Okay, that's that's the cost that permeates the Old Testament, cost that permeates the New Testament. If I am going to have a faith that steps out, I must be willing to engage in some level or degree of sacrifice, giving up financial security, giving up to some degree of identity. And I think it's also just a side note to make this observation. For Abraham, this call also included a willingness to purify himself from the world in which he lived. If you go to Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, you find this fascinating statement. It says, The father of Abram lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. Okay? The father of Abram lived beyond the river Euphrates in the land of Iran and in the earth of Chaldees and worshipped other gods. What is God doing for Abraham? God is calling Abraham out with a simple step of obedience to give all of his life. To him that step of obedience required for him a commitment to some new degree of personal purity he was calling him to break away from the old way of life and probably what was happening is, is as the people began to learn about Jehovah God they were in this situation where there was a blend where they were beginning to understand the call of Jehovah God and were wrestling with what it meant to give up their old allegiances and ultimately, God calls Abraham, Abraham, I want you to step out of that environment to become the man of faith and the man who ultimately will bring an incredible blessing to the world. So what can we say? We can say this. This faith that Abraham expresses is not a little step of faith in his daily life. All right, this is a life changing step of faith. This, The effect of this kind of faith is radical in Abraham's life. It alters the course of his life and ultimately, fascinatingly, it alters the course of the world. Okay, if you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel, you know that the place that God called Abraham to go to is central in world history. Okay, so it is, it is, it is a, an act of faith that changes his life. He will never be the same after this act of faith. Does that sound familiar? Sounds to me like 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. If anyone is in Christ as a result of faith, what are they? They are a new creation. The old is passing away. A new person is emerging. Abraham, I want you to leave your family, your homeland, your security. I want you to leave it and follow me. And what is God's promise? Okay, here's what's fascinating. God's promise is that he's going to give him back all of those things, but they are going to be amplified and magnified into glorious promises and blessings. Notice the next step. The last part of verse 1. He says, go to the land that I will show you. Go to the land that I will show you. Which means what? Well, Hebrews 11 says it means this. It says Abraham left his homeland and began to travel to a place where he would say he did not know where he was going. The final end of the journey was uncertain, and for Abraham, it was unknown. He didn't know what it all meant. Folks, I would argue that that's the way that faith always is. God often calls us to take steps in our personal lives when we don't... We don't know where it's going to go. But we know that God has made clear this step. But we don't we don't have a clear understanding or a clear picture of where it is all going. Faith, this kind of faith, the second thought this morning is this. This faith brings enormous blessings. I want you to look at the promises that God gives to Abraham in verses 2 through 3, which I believe are some of the most important verses in the Old Testament. God says, Abraham, leave your people, your household. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into, and listen to this, a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you, and and the way this could be better interpreted is, you be a blessing. Okay, I'm going to do all these things for you. When I do that for you, I didn't do it simply for you. I did it to advance the redemptive purpose that I am engaged in. You, Abraham, be a blessing. Why does God pour these things out? Because he wants us to be a blessing in our sphere of influence. He wants us to be, as Jesus would later say, salt of the earth, light of the world. That's not new truth. That's just a clear explanation of what God was saying to Abraham. So look at these these promises, if you will. What are they? He says, I'm going to give you a new land. Abraham, leave the financial security, leave the agricultural security that you have in this place. And when you do... Three things will happen. I will give you a new land, the land of Canaan, which we know as modern Israel. Not a land that is large in size, but a land that is incredibly influential and crucially placed in world history. It is, by some writers, called the land between the major empires of the ancient world. He says, then I will make you a great nation. That is, I will give you a family. What did he call him to leave? He said, Abraham, leave your family, and I will make you a great family. I love this kind of promise. Abraham, walk away from that, and I will give you something that will cause you to be able to forget that. Not that Abraham would have disregard, not that he didn't feel any breaking away from his older life. But in order to become the people of God's purpose, what did he have to do? He had to sever himself and separate himself from that old life so that he could become the man that God wanted him to be. So God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Here's to me what is fascinating. And, and in it, he's saying, I'm going to give you a great name. I did a little bit of research recently on the, popu- on, the, on the number of Jews in the world and then the number of Jews that live in the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, and, and somewhere between 7 and 8 million Jewish people live in the land of Israel. Do you know what the world's current population is? This number actually took me me off guard the other day because I remember it being like six point something. Most estimates are now saying that the world's population is beyond 8 billion people. Okay, you know what that means? It means that the population of the nation of Israel is far less than 1% of the world's population. Far less than 1%. Okay? More Jews live in America than live in Israel. Okay. What country happens to make it on the news? Almost every day. What country? Israel. Okay. Did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? I will make you a great nation. Not necessarily enormous in size. It's one of the smaller countries in the world. It's on a geographic piece of land that's the size of New Jersey. Which is, I don't know if that makes us blessed in our country or not. But here's the thing that amazes me. The people of Israel are on the news every day. They are a people that wield enormous influence. And I'm not saying that everything that Israel does is good and blessed by God. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there is is a promise in this text that we see fulfilled before our very eyes today. God has made Israel a people of enormous influence and impact. Okay? Why? Because Abraham obeyed God. And when he obeyed God, God began to do things through Abraham that Abraham could never accomplish on his own. Okay, so what happens? Faith brings blessing into our lives. The key in this, I think, is is something very simple. The promise given to Abraham is tied to, tightly, his obedience, isn't it? Abraham, go, and then I will bless you. Abraham, walk in obedience and faith, and then I will use your life. And folks, sometimes we're waiting for enormous blessings of God that are so overwhelming that they ultimately alter the trajectory or flow of our lives. We're waiting. We're waiting to become competent and important and influential, and then we'll step out or or, to be, you know, kind of more well-suited for the task that God is calling us to. God doesn't need us to be well-suited people. He needs us to be willing people who will step out and say, God, use my life to make a difference. That's the kind of man that Abraham was. And the faith that he exercises brings blessing. And I want you to notice how this works in verses 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you will have a curse, which is an indication of what? That as Abraham steps out in faith, what is God going to do? God is going to put protection around him. And he's going to cause blessing to flow from his life into the lives of those that are in sync with God's desire for this people. It's a fascinating thing to me. But the thing that I think is stronger is the end of verse 3. Notice what it says. I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will have a curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, that is, can you imagine Abraham in Haran hearing this promise? Abraham, go where I'm telling you to go. And when you go, I am going to unleash blessings that will flow to all peoples of the earth. That is an unbelievable promise. And only a person of great faith would walk in obedience to that directive. And what we find is that is exactly what Abraham does. Folks, do you understand this? Ultimately, you and I are able to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Ultimately, because of the faith of Abraham. The believer. God called him to start something to start a nation under the power of God's direction that would ultimately bring through it the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, what happens? All the nations of the world can come to Him. So that when I flip ahead to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, what do I find? I find people from every tongue and nation doing what? Worshiping God. Where was that promise first stated? Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. In you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Folks, can we admit this, that we tend to underestimate what God can do through a life of obedience? We we undersell ourselves. We amplify our weaknesses or we allow the evil one to put the stress on them. And we fall back from simple steps of obedience. God wants us to be people that walk in powerful and simple faith. The promise, this amazing promise, is tied directly to the obedience of Abraham. And God's blessing ultimately only reaches its high point when it is shared with other people. Okay, I think this is another important principle to grasp here. Blessing follows simple faith for Abraham. The high point of the and the glory of that faith and that obedience is found when? When it is shared with other people. And so the same thing is true in our lives. When we begin to share what God has done through, in us through the Lord Jesus Christ, amazing things will begin to happen and occur in our lives. And when we obey, our blessing our, or our obedience will bring blessing to those around us. And I think one of the stresses in this text then becomes something like this. Okay, your faith in Christ is personal. Okay, but it was never intended to be private. Okay, God's call to Abraham was very personal. Abraham, you go, you take your family. It's very personal, but the blessing that God is going to pour into Abraham's life is never intended to be privately enjoyed. Okay, does that make sense? God called him and said, Abraham, I want you to be a blessing to the nations. That would require him breaking away from the world, not blending in and being like everybody around him. It would would require him to be different, distinct, holy, pure. And then what would God do? As he would pull away from this big sphere of relationships, God would take him into a greater sphere of relationships. By what? By simple faith. Not because he has great characteristics. None of them are listed in this text. All we know is that God sovereignly chose Abraham and said, you're going to be the man through whom I bring the nation of Israel, a stunning and humbling promise. And yet God is going to work in, in amazing and glorious ways in his life. And as we begin to share the blessings of God in our life, as we begin to walk in simple obedience, what we're going to find is that God's work in our lives begins to spread into the lives of those around us. In the beginning of verse 4, after this call is given to Abraham and this promise ultimately of a Savior and of a blessing that's going to flow through him to all the world, verse 4 makes this very simple three-word statement. It says, so Abraham left as the Lord had told him. Okay? Third thought is this. Faith. Okay? Simple faith follows without hesitation. Okay, Simple faith follows or obeys without hesitation. Now, I want to ask you this question. Could Abraham come up with a list of excuses for not obeying this command? Okay? Uh, If you read around the text that talk about the departure of Abraham from Haran, one of the things you're going to find is that he is a man who is now 75 years old who has settled into his lifestyle, settled into his financial security, settled into enjoying his family in the homeland. He has serious cause to list a number of excuses. One is his age. Another one is what? The barrenness of his wife. She doesn't have any, He doesn't have any offspring through his wife. And what is God promising? You're going to become a great nation mean, all kinds of people and in his mind, what is Abraham thinking? And as you read through the Abraham story, what is the constant point of tension for Abraham. It is the lack of an heir through whom the nation can come. That issue is a rub for him constantly. It is the means that God is using to grow gradually what? His faith. Abraham, go. Take your wife Sarah, who I know. Verse 30 of chapter 11. She's barren. I'm going to give you a family through her. Abraham has excuses. One is, Father, if I had offspring, I could understand the promise And I could obey you and follow you more easily and more clearly. But it's not an excuse that Abraham raises. Read on in verse 4. It says, Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left and set out from Haran. Verse 5. He took Sarah, his wife, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that they had accompanied, and the people that they had acquired in the land, and just say this real quick. That pe- the people they had acquired into the land, commentators push in two ways. Okay, people that had become part of their entourage or people that were proselytes. People that Abraham had shared his faith in God with and who had come to trust in him. A number of the stronger commentaries tend to see it in that way. Abraham was in the process of sharing his faith. He abandons all of the sources of security. But when he gets into the land, I want you to notice this. Notice what happens. It says they set out for the land of Canaan, which is where God told them to go, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, this is the fascinating statement, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Okay, If you want to call it the Easter egg that's hidden in this story, Okay, this is the surprise that is going to stretch Abraham's faith even further. Remember, the original audience of this book is who? Israel, because Moses is the writer to Israel as they pass through the exodus from Egypt. When they hear about the Canaanites, they have a clear understanding. When Abraham got to the land of Canaan, what was it? It was an occupied land. Okay, and God said, Abraham, this is going to be your land. Abraham travels there, and what does he find? He finds occupants who are centered in a, and steeped in a, a form of pagan idolatry. Another obstacle to the obedience of faith. Okay? Abraham's obeying God. He gets there, and he finds enormous obstacles as he exercises faith. I think the principle is something like this. Obedience does not mean freedom from opposition and fears. The trials that God is allowing into our lives are meant to grow us and to stretch us, to make us men, women, and young people of faith. That's what God is striving to do, to cause us to be people that are so utterly dependent upon Him that we begin to exercise quick obedience in response to His commands so that we can be a blessing to those around us a godly life we will learn is often lived in difficult settings as we walk in very simple faith verse 7 then brings us to the last thought that I'd like to look at this morning Abraham got there in this land where the Canaanites were its an occupied land verse 7 the lord appeared to abram and this is just this is just like god isn't it Abraham endures all of these sacrifices, packs up his family, gets to a new place, finds that the land that he's supposed to occupy is already occupied, and that by a pagan people who God had just called him away from. And Abraham's thinking, What are you doing? God, why did you bring me here? And what does God do? In the midst of all of those questions that must surely be running through his mind, it says, God appeared. To Abraham and said, and what is it? It's, here's the reiteration of the promise. Abraham, you have walked in obedience to me. Here's what I want you to know. You're looking around at this land. You're seeing a whole lot of obstacles, just like Israel will later. Okay, remember what, what Israel said when they came out of Egypt, went to the land of promise, sent in spies. They came back, and what did they say? There's Canaanites in the land. And what was that? That was to be a reason for disobedience or an excuse for not obeying the call of God. Why is the story of Abraham recorded? Why is the city of Bethel, the house of God? Why is the city of Ai, the first place of a physical battle and victory listed? Why? Because God wants Israel to know that as they read this story and prepare to go into the land of promise, somebody, a father, a forefather went in before them in obedience to God. And God blessed him. The outcome of his obedience is this group of people that are coming out of the land of Egypt that now God is going to lead into the land of promise and ultimately through whom the Messiah would come. Faith experiences obstacles. The last thought is faith is encouraged by God. I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves this question, where do we live and what is it that we need from God? What is it that we need from God? God calls Abraham to go into this land and to live there. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. And here's the key. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why did Abraham do this? He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Folks, why did Abraham leave Haran and hear the call of God? Why, when he got into the land of promise, did he see it not as a permanent dwelling place, but as a temporary blessing? Why? Because he was looking forward to what all of these promises pointed forward to. And that was the means that God is using to encourage his faith. Where do you and I live today? I think Peter captures this very well. First Peter 2 and verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and aliens in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Where do we live? We live in contested territory, folks. We live in a place where it requires great faith to be the person of God. But we're to live here as what? We're to live here as people that know that this is not our final dwelling place. We're temporary residents here. We're called to live a life that is distinct. We're called to be people that are a blessing, just like Abraham was. And so when you come forward into the book of Galatians, we're told that Abraham is what? He... He's the man of faith. He's the the example of faith. He's the biblical illustration of faith. And as we look at His life and begin to live like Him, God will begin to allow our lives to have an impact, not only on our immediate sphere of influence, our family, but He will expand that sphere of influence. And in the time period that we live in, who is the people of God? You know who the people of God are? They're the church of Jesus Christ. They're the people that are seeking to lift up the name of God and make Him known in our world. And as we do that, what is God's promise? God's promise is, as you share my truth, I am with you. I am for you. And folks, it is a struggle for us often to maintain a level of and a degree of purity that allows us to be effective witnesses in our culture. But here's what I think we need to realize. God not only calls Abraham out of the world, He also calls him where? To the world fascinating isn't it he calls him out of one sphere of influence moves him into a new sphere of influence and what does he want him to do there verse 2 be a blessing abraham bless those around you let the blessing that you have receive from god begin to affect you and infect you and the rest of this this text verses 8 and 9 tells us that abraham went on uh, towards the hills uh, east of bethel he pitched his tent There, it'll go on to say, he built an altar to the Lord and called on, or the word literally carries this idea. There he did what? He proclaimed the name of the Lord. He made known what God had done. Here's the verse that jumps into my mind, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus says to his his disciples, his apostles, the early church, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. The blessing that you have received is intended to be shared with the world around you. That's what people of faith do. They share their faith and experience the blessing of God. Abraham's legacy, as I conclude, is this. It is one of simple faith and quick obedience. Abraham looks for the word of God, and when he hears it, what does he do? He reorients his life around the call of God. Now, here's the question I would ask you this morning. What is the call of God upon the church? I think we know in general, go out and make a difference. Be light, be salt. How do I do that? I have to do that by faith. I have to trust God to work through my weak gifts. Trust God to do that. Don't let age be an excuse for being passive. Don't let youth be an excuse for being passive. Don't let how hard it is be an excuse for being passive. Trust God. Where has he called you to? Fear you're in high school, what's the sphere of influence that he's placed before you? He wants you to reach it. College student, here's, here's the burden on my heart often. Okay, it's easy for college students to go into college and let the world commit to them instead of them going into the world to make a difference. God called Abraham out of the world and then he dispersed him into the world. For what purpose? To make a difference by faith. Follow the example of Abraham. This is a faith journey that changes Abraham and that changes ultimately the world. What is the journey that God has you on? What's the sphere of influence that he, at this current time in your life, has called you into where he wants you to operate as, if you will, an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Okay? Once you identify it, here's what you have to do. You have to reckon with the call of God and say, God, I will, in this area, obey you. As God called Abraham... God calls people today. He comes to us through various sets of circumstances, various means through his word, brothers and sisters in Christ. He comes and what is he doing? He is speaking to us. Here's the question I have for you this morning. What is he saying to you? Okay, he spoke to Abraham. Abraham, got it? Going to go do it. Okay, what is the word that God is speaking in you? What's the area of your life in which he wants to challenge you and change you? and unleash you, stripped of all your excuses, to be a witness to his glory and grace. And what will your response, what will your decision be as you hear the call of God in your life? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, the one thought I would leave you with is this. Abraham, Galatians 15, is going to tell us, believed God, and it was counted to him. As righteousness. Abraham began his walk with God. Not as a result of great performance. He began his walk with God. As an act of simple surrender and faith. A weak man. Who lived in a difficult place. Rescued. By the call of God. And a response of simple faith. What is the call? The burden. The step of obedience. That God has placed on your heart today. How does he want you, as you leave today and as you begin this new week, how does he want you to be like Abraham, the believer? Let's bow our heads together in prayer.